to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Everybody is good. Hey, can we just give some some love and thanks for our amazing associate pastors, Nate and Steph Sims? I just, I, I got to tell you, uh, what, a, what a blessing they are. Nate's up here. He's stalling. Hey, talk among yourselves. And then, he, then he's on the video, too. And uh, he's just a blessing in, in many, many ways. And we're, we're so grateful, Nate and Steph, for you guys. I know we could say that every Sunday, but thank you guys. And I'll say it today in part because it, here at One Church, the more Sims, the better, as far as I'm concerned. And we get to have John and Deb here with us today, Nate and Ethan's mom and dad. And we're so glad to have you guys. They have been uh, missionaries uh, for, for years and are continuing to uh, work with, I think, Builders International, is that right? And helping to build uh, churches and various projects around the world. And so uh, you guys are, are heroes to us. And I, I know that uh, we get the fruit of your life uh, right here, <laughs> the fruit of your life. Um, but, but I know that you, you, you guys, your life blesses people all over the world. And so we're so blessed uh, to get to have you guys here today. And, and all of you, we're blessed to have all of you here today. Uh, if you're here as a guest today, again, welcome. We're glad that you are here. And uh, you have come on a great day. I always say uh, it's, it's always the best Sunday ever, but this is a great Sunday, and uh, I think all of you know that we have been uh, in the journey of uh, finding a home of our own, and um, we have been stepping out in faith, believing God for miraculous things, and uh, today is the first Sunday of June. And uh, a month ago, the first Sunday of May, we received our Vision Builders offering, and uh, God has done incredible, incredible things. And so, there may be some good news. Yeah. All right? So, uh, turn your attention to the screen, and uh, we'll see if there is some good news there for you. It's more than bricks and mortar, more than wood and nails. A home is a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where we are cared for, where we grow, where we gather with those we love, and from where we go into the world where God has called us. And over the history of our church, we have been a family without a home. We have met in family rooms, in rented rooms. We've met in public parks in art galleries and online. We will set up and tear down and get in where we can fit in. But over the last year or so, we've been faced with the increasing problem of limited venues available to us. But I believe that within every problem, there is potential. And I believe that within this problem that we have been facing is the potential that God is providing a place for us to call home a place that we would call the open house, an open house to God, an open house to our church, and an open house to the community around us. Hey, One Church, 
family and friends. I want to give you an update on our Vision Builders Initiative. This spring, we shared with you the vision that we have to create an open house, a place for God, a place for people, a place for our community. And I want to give you an update that the month of May was a month of miracles. We saw God do incredible, incredible things in the month of May. We were able to secure a construction loan for this property. In the month of May, we were able to secure parking for a hundred vehicles. In the month of May, we reached our Vision Builders goal of raising $300,000 for this project. And I'm glad to tell you that on June 2nd, we closed on the purchase of this building. And I want to first of all give God praise for the incredible miracles that He worked. And also, I want to say thank you to every single one of you that has partnered with us in prayer, in faith, in finances to begin this project. Now, I want to invite you to join us on the next phase of this journey as we begin to build the open house. Whether you have construction skill, whether you love to paint, whether you love to landscape, or you're just willing to help in any way needed, there is a place for you in this project. And so I want to invite you to join us on Sunday morning, July 4th at 10 a.m. for our Vision Builders dedication service right here in the future home of Open House. We're going to take time to worship the Lord in this place for the very first time. We're going to take time just to feel the excitement of what God is going to do in this place and to share with you how you can be a part of this journey. And so I hope you'll join us Sunday, July 4th, 10 a.m., right here as we prepare to build the open house. We can't wait to see you then. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you, God. Lord, thank you for your incredible goodness to us, God. Lord, thank you that you are our faithful, God, that what you have begun, you will bring to completion, God. And Lord, thank you, God, even as we celebrate today, God, this incredible, incredible accomplishment. God, we give you praise. We give you glory, God. Father, we pray that from start to finish, God, this building project, Lord, would, would bring honor to your name, God. We pray, Lord, Father, that even as we begin the construction on that building, God, let there be a, a supernatural curiosity that's stirred in the community. Father, let it be that the picture of transformation that happens in that building, God, is a, a picture to the world of what you want to do for us, God. And so, Lord, we thank you for it, God. We give you praise today, God. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful community of people. God, thank you, Lord, that it is uh, more than a slogan, God. It's more than a saying. But, Father, we thank you, Lord, that with you, Jesus, the best is always yet to come. And so we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord praise one more time. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated.
You can be seated. And uh, we, we wanted to have a model for that video. Budget cuts wouldn't allow it, so it was me there. But uh, anyway, uh, awesome, awesome. Well, if you have your Bible today, grab it and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. And I wanted to show that video to you right now in part just to, to, to not keep you waiting any longer since I did that last week. But, uh, but, but also because I believe that, that what we are seeing in the video and what we're seeing in the building uh, is really a parallel to what we're seeing in the Scripture. And, and what, we're, what ultimately God wants to do in all of our lives. Now, I want you to know this, that as we talk about a building, uh, you guys know me, you know that, that, that uh, uh, we're not stuck in religion, and we know that uh, the church is not a building. That's part of the reason we even use the name, the open house. Uh, but but it, God is wanting us to have more than just a building. It's not just about a building. I, I believe it's actually about God building faith in our hearts. And God is wanting that to be the case for every one of us. God is wanting that to be the case for our community. God's wanting that to be the case for your family and in your own heart and in your own life and even in the eyes of our children. I'm so glad that we get to live this out in front of our kids. That, that you know, we get to say to our kids, look what God has done. Look what God has done. I love telling the stories of what God did for my parents and my grandparents, but I want to pass on a fresh faith to my children. I want to pass on fresh stories. I want to pass, pass on fresh testimonies. And that's what we as a community want to see. God, we've heard of your works of old, but Lord, we want to say, do it again in our day. Do it again in our time. I don't want to talk about a revival 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago. God, pour out your spirit today. We need it today more than ever. We need him today more than ever. And so God is wanting to build faith in our hearts. And here's why God is wanting to build faith. We're talking, we'll get to the, the, the scripture in just a minute, but I, I just want to preface it with this. It's not about a building, it's about building faith. And God is wanting to build our faith so that we can take hold of all of his purpose for our lives. God has a great purpose for your life. God has a great plan for your life. God has a great plan for your family. God has a great plan for those of us with children, for our children. And even if you don't have children, God wants to, or children in the natural, he wants you to be a God parent, a God mother, a God father imparting to the next generation. He's got something great for our lives. And he's got something great for our community. Let, let me say it this way. God's plan for our lives is about more than us just keeping our faith intact so we can go to heaven when we die. And, and I'm so grateful. I, I want you to hear this. I'm not minimizing the wonderful, blessed hope that we have. That regardless of what this life brings, and certainly in all of the pain and suffering that we do face in the, this life, I'm so glad that there is an eternal life to come. But in the words of Dallas Willard, eternal life is not just a quantity of life, not just an infinite number of years, but a quality of life. Some people hear that you can have eternal life through Jesus, and they think, why would I want eternal life? It's already hard enough. Why do I want this forever? Infinite. For, in the words of Sandlot, forever, right? And yes, we have that, but God wants us to experience 
abundant life, the fullness of life. Let me say it this way. There is a promise for every one of us. There is a promise. And just as there was for Israel, just as there was, God made a promise to Abraham. And we're, we're looking at the story of Nehemiah. They were, they were building according to a promise. That, that there, was, there was a blessing that was available through Abraham's faith to his descendants. God had spoken to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make your name great. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So it wasn't just about Abraham or even his descendants who became the Jewish people as we know. But it was actually about through them, God wanted them to be a blessing to the world. And I'm so glad that, that uh, just as that promise was to Abraham, the Bible says in the book of Galatians, that through Jesus Christ, that, that promise is to every single one of us. And, and here's why I want you to hear that is because, yes, we go to heaven when we die. And if this is your funeral, I would be preaching that. But this is not your funeral. This is your life, okay? And God has a great purpose for your life. God has a destiny for your life. God has a plan for our community. God wants us, yes, do we have the wonderful hope of heaven after we die? Yes, absolutely. And certainly, there is this reality of the fullness that is to come. That regardless of how, how much we see God's kingdom advancing in this life, that until Jesus comes, there will, there will be a perpetual downward slide in our world. The Bible says that we live in a fallen world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, so there is an aspect of what God has for us. The fullness of salvation will not be fully realized until Jesus comes back. Are we all on the same page with that? So we look forward to the fullness. That's why the, the scripture says, even so, Lord, come quickly. And we want to pray that. We want to do everything we can to hasten his return. That will bring the fullness. But how many of you know you can have a foretaste of heaven now? I'm glad I get to go to heaven one day. But I don't want to wait until I get to heaven to experience heaven. Through, through Jesus, God brought heaven to earth. And that's always been God's plan from the beginning was not an evacuation plan. The gospel's not an evacuation plan. A lot of Christians live their lives waiting for the evacuation plan. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever met somebody like that? That, that you know, they're, they're always thinking that, um, you know, they're always waiting for Jesus to come as we all should. But Jesus didn't say, wait. Uh, he said, occupy. He said, occupy until I come. And so there is a day that Jesus will come. But, but a lot of people uh, live their lives kind of like, I don't know if you remember in school when there was a fire drill. I don't know about you guys. I loved a fire drill. Who loved a fire drill? It was like 15, 20 minutes of just total delay. You, some of you started them, Yes. It's like anything to get me out of class, right? And there's a lot of people that their faith is like a, a perpetual fire drill. 
We're not actually doing what we're called to do, which is to make disciples, which is to, to influence the world where God has put us, every sphere, whether you're in business, whether you're in education, whether you're a mom or dad, wherever God's put you, many people live their lives just hoping the bell will ring so I can get out of class. Hoping that I can get away from, from the work that God has called us to do. And God is saying, I'm trying to get heaven into earth. Yes, there is a day that he will return. And the Bible says that each one will receive a reward according to their work. Okay, so what we do now will determine what will happen in the future. Okay, that should be a little motivation for us. That, that should be a little motivation for us. Man, this is not my message at all. But God, what am I talking about? God wants to build our faith. God wants to build our faith. God wants us to live with a sense of purpose. Yes, go to heaven when we die, but let's see heaven come into our lives. Let's see the power of God released in our lives. Let's see the presence of God released in our lives. So there is a, there is a promise. There's a promise that through Jesus, we can experience the fullness of God's presence here in life, abundant life to the full. There is a promise. But there is a fight. There is a fight. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, I believe it's verse 12, says it this way, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Sometimes we love to talk about faith in terms of just love. And of course, faith is love, but how many of you know sometimes love makes you fight? Not shouldn't be with the person you love. That happens sometimes. But our faith is a fighting faith. Our faith is a fighting faith. And last week we began to look at the story of Nehemiah. As Nehemiah sensed this burden from God to rebuild Jerusalem. And he led the children of Israel, or the Jewish people in Jerusalem, to rise up and build. And no sooner had they risen up than the enemy comes and begins to attack. And the, the same is true for us. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, as soon as you make the decision, I want to live for God's purpose. I'm not just here for my own selfish desires, my own selfish kingdom. God, I want to live for your purpose. How many of you know that there will be resistance? There will be resistance. Uh, everything that God does, the enemy resists. Why? Because your progress, our progress is the enemy's problem. It is what has been called a zero-sum game. When we advance, the works of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, is in decline. And so God has called us to drive back the works of darkness in our world. What are we talking about? We're talking about depression. We're talking about addiction. We're talking about a poverty that grips people's lives and destroys God's purpose and plan for their lives. And when we as the church rise up, not just to sit in a seat on a Sunday, although that is great, but God has called us to something more. He's called us to change the world. And when we rise up in faith, when we progress, it is the enemy's problem and he begins to resist us. And that's what we see in the life of Nehemiah. And we looked last week at the, the first part of chapter 4, that as soon as they rise up to begin rebuilding the wall, the enemies come against them, Sanballat, Tobiah, a list of other enemies that come against them. And we looked at what are the tactics of the enemy, exposing the work of the enemy, 
And we saw in in Nehemiah chapter 4, really a picture of some of the, the challenges and the ways that the enemy comes against all of us. The first thing that they said is, is they said, you feeble Jews, you feeble Jews. And that's, you know, the enemy comes against all of us first with insecurity. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to be used by God? Who do you think you are to make a difference? I, I know where you came from. I know what your family's like. I know what you've done. And, and, and will breed insecurity. But that's the work of the enemy. It's the work of the enemy. We, we can't listen to what the enemy says about us. That's why it's so important that we find our identity in who God says we are. Let me tell you, anything else is a terrible place to find your identity. That your economic status, uh, the car you drive, regardless of what that is, is a terrible place to find your identity. Let me say this, your sexuality is a terrible place to find your identity. God has something greater for us. Even your relationship status is a terrible place to find your identity. If you want the fullness of what God has for you, we have to be secure in who God has called us to be. But that was last week's message. So number one, insecurity. Number two, discouragement discouragement. The enemy came and said, what are you going to rebuild the wall in a day? And the enemy always loves to taunt the process and the timeline of God's purpose for our lives. He always loves to, to make us feel like things are taking longer than they should because he will use it to discourage us. That's why the Bible says in the book of Galatians, let us not grow weary in doing good for in what? Due season, due time, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so we have to overcome insecurity. We have to overcome discouragement. The third thing that we saw in this passage is confusion. And when the enemy came, they said this, that we're going to come in and confuse them. We're going to bring confusion. And, and the Jewish people said, there's so much rubble, we can't even build. In other words, they were using the rubble to bring confusion and, and I told you last week, rub, rubble happens, rubbish happens, right? Rubbish happens. It's just the byproduct of life. Problems happen, difficulties happen, and the enemy will try to use the rubbish of life to confuse us, to try to get us to fight against one another. Because he knows if God's people will fight against each other, he can defeat us without ever having to live, lift a finger right? It's a, it's a war of attrition. He just tries to discourage us and confuse us. And then the fourth thing I showed you is compromise, the enemy of compromise, and, or the, the, the attack of compromise. And the Bible says that the Jews living closest to the enemy heard their threats the loudest. And sometimes we kind of have the mentality, how close can I get without crossing the line? How close can I get to to sin? How close can I get to compromise? How close can I get to things that I know God has called me out of? And, and uh, we lose our victory when we walk the line. And I believe God's called us not to live as close as we can to the enemy, but to live as, as much as we can in the middle of his will. Now, I don't want to be right on the edge of God's purpose. I don't want to be in the kingdom, but barely. <laughs> I want to live in the fullness of what God has for my life. I want to be right in the center of God's will. I don't want to live with compromise. And we're going to pick up today in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. 
And here we see as the enemy comes against Nehemiah and comes against the Jews, we see their response. Nehemiah 4.13. And it begins this way. He says, therefore, in, in light of the attack of the enemy, the threats of the enemy, I should say, therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people, listen to this, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I don't know about in your mind, but in my mind, I see him face painted blue, William Wallace style, rallying God's people. They can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, right? That's what I see in this moment. And I love this because here we see God's people who are, who are called to be marked by love, who are called to be marked by the nature of God. But here we see a moment where the, the rallying cry is that it is time to fight, it's time to fight. And there are moments in time when God calls us to have what I want to call fighting faith. Fighting faith. You know, psychologists say this, that when we are threatened, there is within each of us a fight or flight response. That it's, the, it's a natural thing that, is, that if we are scared, if we are threatened, if there is something that alarms us, there is a natural fight or flight response that is almost immediate. And I believe the same is true in our faith. That, that when the enemy comes against us, that it is easy sometimes to, to say, okay, guys, Sound building the wall sounded like a good idea, but y'all gather your tools. The enemy's coming in. Let's pack up. Let's give a little territory. Let, let's just kind of keep moving back. Let, that's right. Let's, let's, uh, so many times we can just fall back rather than push back. And I believe God wants us to not have fleeing faith, but to have fighting faith. That we fight for God's purpose for our lives. Now, we're not fighting with each other. We're not fighting against people. The Apostle Paul knew what Nehemiah didn't know, that, the, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So we're not fighting against people, but there should be something in us that when the enemy comes against us, we don't flee in retreat, but we stand in faith. That we rise up and we say, like Nehemiah said, fight for your family, fight for your children, fight for your home, fight for your city. God wants us to have fighting faith. There should be something within us that, that when the enemy, I'll take, I'll take that, thank you guys. When the enemy comes against us, that we don't just retreat. There needs to be something in us that says, no, I'm not giving up. Because here's what I, I want you to hear this. The ground that you give up today, generations will have to fight for in the future. Well, this is not just about today. This is not just about the situation you face. He says, fight for your family. Fight for your children. Don't draw back in your faith. 
And there is a pervasive mindset in our culture that can just say, you know what, we just got to get a little more casual in our faith. We, we've got to get a little, we've got to get a little, you know, quiet in, in our faith. We've got to be more relevant. In the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Yeah, let's, let's make a compromise. And I'm not saying that we need to be weird. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not saying that, that, that we should be, you know, something that is repulsive to the world at all. Again, we're not talking about fighting against people, but there should be something in us that, that says, I'm not just going to let the enemy have his way in my family. I'm not just going to let the enemy have his way in our church. I'm not going to let the enemy just have his way in our city. We're going to stand. We're going we're gonna to have fighting faith. You know, there's a, a military maxim that says this, that the best defense is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. You know, there's many people today that, that are, that, that are uh, you know, taking issue with the culture around us. There's people that talk about, you know, the church is, is declining and we've got to stand up for our rights. And, and yes, I believe that is true. But let me say this, that's still a defensive posture. That's still trying to defend against the world. And God's not called us to defend against the world. He's called us to win the world. We have the greatest news in all of the world, the news of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the hope of eternity to come. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we shouldn't shrink back and be afraid that they're, even if they take our rights. I love what Richard Wombrand said. He said, Christians, Jesus' followers are like nails. The harder you beat them, the deeper they go. The deeper they go. If there has been anything that's happened over the last year in the church, it's, it's revealed who's actually following Jesus and who's fleeing in retreat. And I want to encourage you, don't fall back from what God has for us. As a church, we don't want to fall back. We want to move forward. We want fighting faith. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be to God who always leads us. No, that's another verse. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gives us victory. Are you a victim or are you a victor? If you think you're a victim, you will live perpetually victimized. If you think you're a loser, you've already lost. But if you recognize, greater is he that is in me, even if all of the world turns against me, I'm still standing in the power of God. He gives me victory. Victory doesn't come from the White House. Victory doesn't come from the ballot box. Victory comes from the empty tomb. We have the victory. We have the victory through Jesus. And so I want to share with you how to fight in faith. How to fight in faith. If God has called us not to have fleeing faith, but fighting faith, how do we fight in faith? How do we fight for our families, for our children? I've already made the decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Will there be a time that they'll make the decision? Yes, they'll make a decision, and they have most of them already. Y'all pray for Clara. She's really, we're really trying to get her through, but... <laughs> 
But, but we're saying, we're, I, I'm already saying, we're living for God. We're living for God. My family, this city, my neighbors, my neighborhood is going to be different because regardless of what happens, we're not fleeing. How many of you know sometimes it'd be, it'd be nice to move to a part of town where everybody just thinks the same way you think? Here's the problem. You'd have to be on an island by yourself. <laughs> but God has called us to, to advance the kingdom of God. So how do we fight in faith? Three things I want to show you out of this passage that fighting faith does. The first thing I want you to see that if we're going to fight in faith, number one, we need to fight with family. Fight with family. Now, I'm not saying fight against family, but we fight with family. Look at what the Bible says in Nehemiah 4.13. It says this, I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people, I set the people according to their families. According to their families. In other words, he didn't say, you fight by yourself, you fight by yourself. He said, no, this, you guys come together. You're a family, you're going to fight together. How many of you know nobody will fight for you quite like your family? And maybe that's not the case in the natural. Maybe your family fights with you rather than for you. But in the kingdom of God, family fights for one another. Family fights together. We, we stand together against the work of the enemy. Families fight for each other. And that's what we should be as a church. We should be a fighting family. That when one of us is attacked, we all stand up together. We all rise up together. You know, growing up, I was one of four brothers. There was some fighting with each other, against each other that happened. But how many of you know, if one of us got picked on, if one of us got in a fight, we all got in a fight. Who had a brother like that, a sister like that? Some of you did. If you didn't before, you do now, okay? But there was a, a moment that happened, I don't, not that many, that many years ago, but there was a moment that happened, uh, and I actually wasn't there for the moment, so I can tell everybody else the story, tell all my brothers, but my, my brothers, my three brothers um, were in uh, this place, my brother Jordan was pursuing his ambitions of rock stardom, and he was playing a show out at a place that it wasn't exactly a church environment, and uh, they're all there, my brothers Joel and Jarrett are there uh, supporting them, and you know, people are kind of rough, and you know, they're, they're not like real Jesus-like, and, and somebody may have pushed against Jarrett. I don't know exactly how the story went. Somebody may have pushed against Jarrett, and then Jarrett's hand may have come up, and somehow, you know, it was, it was involuntary response, but just knock the guy. Knock the guy. He goes down, and when he, this guy goes down, there's about 10 of his friends that come right up behind him against Jarrett. Now, Joel was there too, and how many of you know Joel's a lover? Joel's a lover. But sometimes the love has to fight. And so Joel jumps in the fight. Jared, Jordan's on the stage. He's singing. He's doing his thing. Pretty soon he looks down. He sees the Johnson brothers are under attack. He comes in off the top turnbuckle, elbow. And uh, Royal Rumble is on right there. And I tell you that story for a couple of reasons. Number one, I want to tell you don't mess with the Johnson brothers. Number two... I want you to know that family fights together. Family fights together. That when you're in the family of God, we stand together. Don't allow the enemy to bring you into isolation. When you're isolated, you're vulnerable. If Jared had been there by himself, he may not be here today. 
But he had Joel, he had Jordan, they were fighting together, and that's what God has called us to be. Again, we're not fighting against people, unless that situation occurs, but we're not fighting against people, we're, we're standing against the work of the enemy. But here's what I want you to hear, you need a faith family. You need a faith family. You can go to heaven by yourself. You don't have to be a part of the church to go to heaven. That's just faith in Jesus. But, but if you want to live victoriously in this life, you need a faith family to fight with you. You need a group of people that when you go through a hard time, you can call somebody. You can, you can text somebody in the middle of the day, man, I feel, I'm, I'm feeling uh, depressed, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling fearful. This situation happened and you need some people that will come around you and fight with you. I love the stories that I hear about the group text messages that happen in house church and in other groups of people that get together, text with each other. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm not in that text message. You know, the Bible says this, he who wants friends must show himself friendly. So if you're not on the text message, just go up to somebody after service today and, and say, let me get your number. We're going to start a, a, a fighting prayer line, okay? And, and let's just get each other's numbers. Then text each other, fight with somebody else, uh, uh, you know, stand with somebody else. The Bible says this in Proverbs 17, 17, that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Who do you call when you have a problem? Who do you call when you're under attack? We need to be a family that loves each other. That's why I'm such a big proponent of house church. Not because we don't love gathering together, but you can sit in a row for years and admire the back of someone's head. And yes, the backs of some of our heads are very admirable. Amen, John? Some of us have beautiful backs to our heads, but you need to connect. You need to have relationship. You need to care for other people and be cared for. And here's what I've come to know is that community requires commitment. Community requires commitment. Brothers and sisters and family are committed to each other. You know, over the last year, there's been so much conversation about, you know, my comfort level. My comfort level. And I, I know it may be a sensitive conversation, and we certainly need to be caring and loving and sensitive to our comfort levels. And, you know, not in COVID world, just in life in general, you know, Personal space is a real thing, but how many of you know that nothing good in life happens by just staying in your comfort level? Like if I lived in my comfort level, I'd be in my bed right now. I would not get up tomorrow morning, right? And so I believe we need to not just talk about the comfort level, we need to talk about the commitment level. Is there a commitment? Is there a commitment? Why? Because there is a fight, and we need to be committed to each other. If you see somebody that's not here on a Sunday, text them. Text them. Call them. It's a lot less heavy for you to do it than if I do it, okay? But it's not because we keep track of attendance records. It's because we care about people. We care about what people are going through, and we need to fight together as a family. He set them according to families, number one. 
The second thing I want you to see, if, we, if we're going to have fighting faith, the second thing I want you to see is that, that we need to fight with a sword. Fight with a sword. Look at what the Bible says in verse 13, that he positioned them according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. In other words, they're armed and dangerous. They're armed and dangerous. They were building with one hand, but then they, they are battling with the other. They are standing with the, the weapons of warfare. The Bible says this, that in verse 17, with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. In other words, it's not, let me leave my sword at home. Let me, you know, let me, if I get attacked, we'll find something. We'll pick up a stone. You know, we'll, we'll get handy. You know, that's not what they said. They said, we're not going to wait. <laughs> we're not going to wait until we get attacked. Y'all say weird things too if you're up here. Like, <laughs> we're not going to wait. Notice he didn't. In fact, they never attack him because they're ready for the attack. And, and again, the best defense is a good offense. And Nehemiah says, guys, go ahead and get armed. Get ready for the fight. We're not going to wait until we're under attack. We're going we're to be armed and ready. We're going to be prepared. And again, the, the Apostle Paul knows what Nehemiah doesn't know, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world. You can't put your hand on them. You can't tuck it in your, in your belt. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down imaginations, for taking every thought captive that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we've been given the full armor of God. It's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith. We've got our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But we also have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Apostle Paul shows us that the Scripture is our only offensive weapon against the enemy. This is the only offensive weapon that we have against the enemy. Now, how does the enemy attack us? How does the enemy attack us? I remember when I was a kid, I, I would hear about, you know, demonic stories. Some of you used to tell ghost stories at your camps. In our camps, they tell demon stories, okay? Even in my family. And in fact, honestly, I saw things growing up that, that you know, just showed me there is a spiritual world. And I saw people being delivered of demons. I saw things that, that I went, wow, that's, that's real, and so I, I kind of, as a kid, thought, you know, man, I don't want the, the devil coming against me. And I had this fear that one night I'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd be sitting at the end of my bed. Anybody ever had a fear like that? So some of you have had, it's kind of, that's scary. I had heard, I think that happened to, I don't know, some famous preacher. He woke up in the middle of the night and the devil was sitting at the end of his bed. I thought, man, I, gotta, I don't want any chairs at the end of my bed. I don't want to give, you know, don't let him sit there. I was afraid to get out of my bed in the middle of the night. I thought, he's probably under my bed. He's going to grab me by my feet and pull me under. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to put stuffed animals around the bed. Because if he reaches up, he thinks he's got me by the, by the head. He's going to grab my stuffed animal. I'm just 
having therapy this morning, but I used to think that the enemy came against me that way. Now, again, last week I talked about the, the axis of evil that is the, the flesh. That's our own disordered desires. That's the things that you say, I'm not going to do that again, and you find yourself drawn back into those things, the things that, that appeal to give you satisfaction but will not give you satisfaction. That's the flesh, the world. That is the culture that, that we live in that is so... Um, contrary to the kingdom of God. The problem with the culture, the problem is the world, is that we become like fish in water. We don't recognize what we live in. That's why it's so good sometimes to get out of your culture because it helps you to have perspective on the world that we live in. But we also do fight against the devil. There are evil powers that come against us. And how does the enemy, how does he attack us? He's much more covert than sitting at the end of your bed in a red suit. In fact, I love what C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters. He, he, he has the um, older demon. If you've ever read that book, uh, you know it's an awesome book. If you haven't, I encourage you to read it. But he has the older demon tell the younger demon, here's what your number one strategy is make him believe if he ever hears about the devil, make him think of a man in a red suit. Make him think something that is, that is far too outlandish for our modern minds. And sometimes we think the same way, but the enemy is far too cunning for that. Let me tell you how the enemy attacks us. The enemy attacks us in our minds. He attacks us in our minds. In fact, a physical manifestation of the enemy is his last resort. He wants to work in, in silence and secrecy behind the scenes as much as possible. So how does the enemy attack us? Here's how the enemy attacks us. He attacks us in our thinking. He attacks us with fearful thoughts. Here's how the enemy attacks us with thoughts like it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Give up on that promise. Give up on what God has said. He attacks us with fear and anxiety. What will people think? Oh, wh wh who do you think you are? These, these are the attacks of the enemy. You're going to fail. Fear fearful thoughts. He attacks us with angry thoughts. Who do they think they are? The, do they know who I am? I, I'm just going to cut them off. I have a right to be angry. Th those, are the, those are the words the enemy uses. Now, I'm saying that to you today because we all have those thoughts, Right? The, the enemy uses tempting thoughts. Nobody will know. You deserve to be happy. You, it's, you're, you know, it's just a look. It's just a glance. It's just, you know, it's just one. It's tempting thoughts, and he's luring us in. The enemy attacks us in our minds, in our thinking. That's why the Bible does give us the helmet of salvation, but the sword of the Spirit. Why? Why is our primary weapon against the enemy a book full of words? Because the enemy attacks us with words. It is an information war that he brings against us. And so we have to know how to stand against the attacks of the enemy. He doesn't announce that he's attacking you. He just sends these thoughts against you. Cut them off. Get angry. Don't go back. You deserve to be happy. If it feels good, do it, right? The, these are the words of the enemy. You've got too much to do. You really should be doing something else. You can't be reading your Bible. You shouldn't be praying. Get on with the work of the day, 
right? This is the way the enemy attacks us. That's why we have to know the Word of God. We have to know the Word of God because the enemy comes against us and we have to be able to stand against the attack of the enemy. Now, I want to encourage you to be a person of the Word of God. You, the, the world is filled with words, and the words that you hear determines the thoughts you think. The thoughts you think determines the life you lead. And you can think whatever thoughts you want to think. You can think depressing thoughts. You can think happy thoughts. You can think uh, discouraging thoughts. Now, I know that there are things that we wrestle against. That's what the Bible calls strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is something that you ran to for the promise of protection and security, and now you've become imprisoned to it. That is a stronghold, and the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The casting down of arguments. What is an argument? It's a, it's a word that comes against you that is contrary to what God says about you. Taking every thought captive and bringing it into obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when we encourage you to read your Bible, it's not so that you can be a gold star student. We are encouraging you to read your Bible because we want God's best for you. We want you to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy. When a thought comes against you that says you're unlovable, you've failed too many times, God's plan and purpose for you is a thing of the past. You've messed up. You've gone too far. You've got to be able to stand up against the attack of the enemy. You've got to say, what shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord? I am convinced that nothing will be able to separate me. When insecurity comes... You're too this, you're too that, you're not enough this, you're not enough that. You've got to be able to stand and say, God, thank you that I have been covered with the, the, the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. You know, there is a, in, in war, they talk about a red line. Red, a red line is a limit that when the enemy comes to that place, he's, he or she or they have crossed a red line. And I believe that God wants us to draw a red line around our family. He wants us to draw a red line around our city. He wants us to draw a red line around our thinking that we're not just going to stand for anything. We're going to stand against the attack of the enemy. But you can't fight if you don't know the Word. You will be a victim if you don't know the Word of God. You will be a victim if you do not know the Word of God. And you won't know the Word of God if you don't read the Word of God. I just, I'll get real practical. I want to encourage you, get a paper Bible. I love a digital Bible. I've got digital Bibles. I've got a whole digital library. But there's something about, number one, not being dependent on Apple or Google or Facebook or whoever. You know, there's something about that. But there's something about also not having the distractions. Just real practical. But there's also something about a Bible that becomes, it's like a weapon that you've gotten used to. Those of you that like to shoot guns, you may know there's a gun I like to shoot. There's something, I like the way it works. I like, this is, this is a, a trusted uh, weapon. And the same should be true about our Bible. 
I believe our Bible should be soaked with tears of prayers where we've stood in prayer against the attacks of the enemy. Our Bible, mine's got some coffee stains in it from some mornings with God. Your Bible should have some highlights in it of things that God has spoken to you, some notes in it. Put some sticky notes in it. Why? Because it's a weapon. And you need to be comfortable with your weapon. Don't wait until the enemy comes against you. Don't. How many of you know, you? Uh, those of you that are into buying guns, how many of you know, last fall if you wanted a gun, and maybe still if you wanted a gun, you couldn't get a gun. You can't wait. Don't wait till you're at war to get a gun. This isn't a, you know, NRA-sponsored message. I'm talking spiritually. But here's what I want you to know. Don't wait until you're in the depths of depression to get a hold of what God says about you. You've got to get the word. Here's what you have to do. You've got to get it from here into here into here. From here into here into here. Here, here, here. If it's here and it's over there, or who knows where it is, how many of you know it's not going to do any good? They had their weapon at their side. They're ready. The Bible says this that in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law, the Old Testament, this book of God's word shall not depart from your mouth, but in it you shall meditate day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Why? Because you've meditated in the word of God. You've just been soaked in the scripture. You're so ready that when the enemy comes against you and he just puts a little seed thought, you're this or that, or he comes against you, you know right away, no, this is what God's Word says about me. This is what God's Word says about me. It, it may be, maybe it sounds old-fashioned. That's okay. I'd rather, I'd rather be old-fashioned than, than, than to be a victim of the world around us. I'd rather stand against the enemy. If it's old-fashioned, call it old-fashioned. But I want to encourage you, memorize Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Take time just mulling it over. I was mulling over that Scripture yesterday. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Get it in your heart because it will bring faith into your life. They fought with the sword. Number three. Number three is this. Not only did they fight with family, not only did they fight with a sword, but they also fought with a song. They also fought with a song. Look at what Nehemiah said. He says this in verse 20. Actually, he says in verse 19, he says, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. We're spread out. We're separated he says, so here's what I want you to do. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, I want you to come together because when we come together, God will fight for us. If you know the Old Testament and maybe you know the format of the temple, the, the trumpet or the shofar was blown to invoke the presence of God. It was also the call to worship. And what is Nehemiah saying? He's saying, in the middle of the battle, uh, we're going to blow the trumpet. We're going 
We're going to blow the call of worship even in the middle of the battle. Now, you would think you'd wait till the end of the battle to begin to praise God. But he says, don't wait until the battle's over. When you hear the trumpet, you rally together. When you hear the sound of praise, when you hear this sound of the trumpet, the sound of praise, rally together, our God will fight for us. Here's what I want you to hear is that the, the atmosphere of worship is the atmosphere of heaven. The atmosphere of praise is the atmosphere of heaven. Why do we praise and worship when we gather together? Not because we just need an intro song. We don't worship just to give some time at the beginning while everybody comes in and gets their coffee. The reason we do it is because we're changing the atmosphere. How many of you know sometimes you walk in, you feel defeated, you feel beat up, you feel like, man, I can't even worship. But you come into an atmosphere, we begin to, to sing the songs as we were today. And somewhere, sometime during that time, something begins to lift. Something begins to change in the atmosphere. What is it? It's the presence of God. Praise releases the presence of God. What makes heaven heaven? It's where God is. The atmosphere of heaven. If you could listen into heaven today, you know what you'd be hearing? Praise. Praise. So when we begin to praise, we release the atmosphere of heaven into earth. Praise shifts the atmosphere. And, and when all hell breaks loose, I believe we need to let heaven loose into our lives. That's why we, we're doing what we're doing with what I'm calling worship in the raw. And some of you may be feeling like, man, that's worship. You know, it's, it's tough. And I'm not saying that as any critique or criticism. I've asked Kendall to do that. And by the way, Sarah Hammer did an awesome job this morning, didn't she? But why are we doing that? Here's, here's why we're doing that. We're pulling back a little bit on musicianship, not permanently. Let me tell you, I love a full band. I love electric guitar, keys. Uh, what's the keyboard on the guitar? Keytar. If somebody plays the keytar, please see Kendall because we need you on the worship team, okay? I love it all. I mean, put, you know, put somebody in a, in, in a drum cage, spin around, go for it. I love it. I love it. But here's what I want you to understand. There's a difference between musicianship and worship. And we can become dependent on the musicianship of the worship team rather than being people that know how to release the sound of praise ourselves. And here's the question, not do you know how to praise in here. The question is, do you know how to praise when the enemy comes against you? Do you know how to praise when you get the negative report? Do you know how to praise when you're stressed out? I've got to tell you, over the last 30 and 60 days, there were some moments I brought to you guys the good reports. I didn't tell you all the challenges along the way. Lori works in the broker's office. She knew what was going on sometimes behind the scenes. And I can tell you, there's about a thousand reasons why we should not have that building. And there was moments when I thought, this is not going to work. I've, I've, I've gone before the church. I told them this is what we're going to do. This'll be, this is the Sunday I'm going to have to announce. It's not going to happen, folks. I'm sorry. And I, I felt that. And here's what I recognized. My faith was being challenged. 
And one morning I woke up before the thoughts of the day hit my mind. The Lord spoke to me, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. I knew that we were going to have to fight to take hold of what God had for us. We had to fight in prayer. That's why we do the early morning prayer every Wednesday morning at 6.30 because we're just getting together. It's like a little training, spiritual training session to learn how to pray together. And that's what I had to do when when I had these thoughts. It's not going to work. I had to go into my office and I closed the door and I just had to lift up my hands and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Now, I didn't have reasons in the natural to thank Him, but I I was thanking Him in advance. I was blowing the trumpet in the middle of the battle. God, thank you that you will make a way. I started singing the old Don Moen song, God will make a way. Nate knew it. He'd hear me. Where there seems to be no way, He works in ways we cannot see. God, you're going to make a way for me. You will be my guide. You'll hold me closely to his side, your side. With love and strength for each new day, you will make a way. God will make a way. Now, I had to praise myself. It sounds better when Kendall does it. And I love, I'm so grateful for people that have musical talent. It's a blessing to all of us. But God wants us to know how to praise God, don't be dependent on a worship team. Don't be dependent on a worship team. A worship team is awesome. But when you face temptation, when the enemy puts lies in your head and you've got to know how to fight against it, how many of you know Kendall can't be in every place at once? And thank thank God for Spotify, but sometimes that connection doesn't work either. Where do you have to have the song? You've got to have a song in your heart. You've got to be able to have a song in your heart. Why have we pulled back on the worship team? Because we want you to be the worship team. We want us to be a choir that lifts our voices together. And we say, you know what? Yeah, God, thank you for those that are better singers than me. But I'm not going to wait on them. The Bible says that, that, that if we don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out. I heard this week on NPR, they put a little speaker on a flower. You know what they found? A flower was making a melody and a harmony. Wow. Wow. What does that tell us? It tells us that the Bible is true, that all of creation declares His glory. So will I. So will I. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank you, Lord. Let's just open up our mouths and praise Him.